Amen. Well, there is a lot going on and a lot of great stuff. And one of the things that's going on is that we have this thing called Lent that we're observing during the season of the year. And for Lent this year, we're taking what we're calling a road trip through the book of Romans. If you've ever been on a road trip, you've probably seen a bumper sticker or two. Here's one that I saw, not on a road trip, but right in our parking lot uh, where we have our office. And the, uh, the bumper sticker says, God bless the whole world, no exceptions. Now, I, I think I've referenced bumper stickers like this before, and I believe behind them there's a great heart. You know, if, if maybe it was one of you visiting the office, and, and that's your bumper sticker, so I, I don't question your heart at all. In fact, this is very similar to our invitation as a church. As a church, here's our invitation. We put it on our bulletins. We talk about it quite a bit. Experience God with us. This is what we're about. This is, we want to get to a spot where everything we do at this church is about this. This invitation, experience God with us. We're experiencing something real. God's changing us, and we would love to invite you to join us. You know, we, and this is our invitation that we, we extend not just to our families and to our friends and to our coworkers. We want to extend it to the world. So this is our invitation. It's very similar, at least on the surface, to the bumper sticker. But let's go back to the bumper sticker, and let me share why, why this is one I couldn't personally put on, on my vehicle. The, the reason I couldn't put this on, besides the fact that I don't think Laura would like bumper stickers on her vehicles, uh, the, the other reason I, I couldn't is I, I feel as though this could easily misrepresent God. This, this bumper sticker, it may not be what their intent is behind it, but this could easily misrepresent God as he reveals himself through the scriptures. Um, does, does God desire to bless? Yes, but I would encourage you to write this down in your notes. There are certain behaviors that God cannot bless. Now, I don't know the context for that bumper sticker, and we'll get to that in a minute, but there are certain behaviors that God cannot bless. He can redeem bad behaviors. He does it all the time. He's great at it. God may choose to bring forth great things from bad behaviors. He's remarkable at that. We talk about beauty from ashes. Boy, God does that so well. But there are certain behaviors God can't bless. And rather than, than start on a slow progression and work there, let me just cut to an extreme example. Earlier this week, maybe you heard the news story about, um, about a jihadist group that was calling for an attack on the Mall of America. How many heard about that, that story? All right. So let's go to an extreme example. Let's say you've got that bumper sticker on your car. You have your car at the Mall of America parking lot. And you're sitting at the food court and you're overlooking Nickelodeon Universe, and it's a Saturday afternoon, and there's lots of families out there, and they're just coming just to have a fun time. Could you sincerely pray that you want God to bless the plans of someone that's coming to that mall intending to blow themselves up and kill people, innocent people? No, of course not. Of course not. And I would imagine if I sat down with the person whose bumper sticker that was, they'd say, of course, that's not what I meant. You're taking it out of context. And that's the whole point of why I'm using this as an illustration, because context matters. Context matters. And that's why we're, we're doing this series, because there's this, um, this, this book, this, we call it a book now of the Bible. It's a letter. It's an ancient first century letter, and it's called the Book of Romans, and it is arguably the most influential letter ever written. And that letter is rich. 
It is theologically loaded. The concepts within it are so nuanced and so foreign to Western thinking that there's a temptation to try to really simplify it. And you have to. If you're going to explain it to someone, you have to be able to simplify it. But we want to be careful that we don't just pull things out of context and then communicate something unintentionally that, that the Bible doesn't say. We want to be careful about that. So there's this, this list, or I should say there's these lists that people call the Roman road or the Romans road, where we, we, we try, to, try to give an overview of Romans, which is great, and we'll take these little passages from Romans and string them together to try to help people understand what is said in the book of Romans. What we're doing is we're, we're trying to dig deeper and, and to say, are these, are these, if you pull them out, do they communicate well what Romans is about or not? Some do, and some may be, be misleading. Well, here's the two that we're going to focus on today. And if you look at different Romans road lists, you're going to see all kinds of different combinations. There's not one that's universally understood, but in every list I've ever seen, these two are on it, all right? Romans 3.23, which says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23, which say, the wages of sin is death. And what we're going to do today is let's look at these with as much as we can with the short time we've got. Let's look at these in context and look and see whether or not they say what they appear to say. Does Paul's letter to the Romans teach that all have sinned? And does Paul's letter to the Romans teach that the wages of sin are death? That's what we're going to look at today. Are we ready? Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, let's open up. We're going to start in Romans 1, and we're going to work really quickly all the way up to Romans 6.23. Actually, we'll overshoot it a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a, a, a stack of them at each of those tables. They're there for you. Whether it's this Sunday or some other Sunday, we'd invite you to please take one home as a free gift. All right, here we go. Now, I'm going to start at Romans 16, uh, or 1.16. And the reason I'm going to do that is the first seven verses are just a, an, an introductory greeting, and then the next verses right after that, it's, I think it's eight, eight verses after that, Paul's just saying, hey, I want to visit you personally. So rather than get all of that, we're going to go to verse 16, which is still right up towards the front. This is Romans 1, this is verse 16. And look at the deep waters that Paul jumps in right away. Hi, it's me, Paul. I hope to meet you someday. Boom, boom, exactly. That's exactly what happens. He jumps right in, and here's what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Yes, it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And yes, this is a boom. This is a boom. Uh, we could say all kinds of things about it. For the sake of time, I just want to draw your attention to those quotes. If you were here last week, if you're one of the five people here last week, um, the, uh, <laughs> you, you may have noticed we were quoting about the, or talking about these quotes. When you see the quotes in Romans, it, it's almost always a passage you can find in what we now call the Old Testament. It's coming out of the Hebrew Scriptures. All right, and this one comes out of a book of, called Habakkuk, which we're actually going to study. We're going to look at the book of Habakkuk this summer. We're going to go through all three chapters of it and unpack it. And it's an, it's an impressive quote. This is a, a loaded quote. In fact, we're going to spend almost a week on, on this quote there. It, it's a revelation. That quote and Paul actually quoting it again, it's a revelation from God that authentic faith 
is inseparable from the pursuit of righteousness. Let me say that again. Whether it's in the Old Testament or the New, there is a consistent teaching. It's revelation from God that authentic faith is inseparable from the pursuit of righteousness, and specifically righteousness in God's eyes. If you have authentic faith, you're going to pursue righteous living with God's help and with God's, God's power. And it follows then, when we place our faith elsewhere and pursue a path of unrighteousness, we're going to find ourselves in need of salvation, which is referenced. All that's lo in this loaded little passage here. When we place our faith elsewhere, go down the path of unrighteousness, we find ourselves in need of salvation. Why? Because the wages of sin are death. And we're going to see that as we, we go. In fact, Paul lays that out way before we get to Romans 6.23. Paul lays out that the wages of sin is death. It isn't of new, okay, I've been building for six chapters, now let me tell you, wages of sin is death. It actually appears very, very early. Let's go back to where we left off. Picking up with verse 18. Look at the language here. Boom, boom. I didn't plant that either. <laughs> boom, that's right. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men or women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they're without excuse. Now, again, we're still in chapter 1. We're only a couple verses removed from, hi, this is a guy named Paul, and I hope to see you sometime. We're only a couple verses away from that. We're less than 10 verses from Paul's greeting, and Paul is already using phrases like the wrath of God and without excuse. And the tone doesn't change as we continue. Look at this. Let's keep going. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. If you have your Bible, you might want to underline that or highlight that. Because that's what sin is ultimately about, as you'll see. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now, as this letter continues on, God reveals why sin is so significant. Behind every disobedient decision is a failure to place God above all things. That's why this is a big deal. Sin is ultimately living in opposition to the righteous intent of our creator. We live in a culture that has a radically different worldview, don't we? that. I commented before this, the spell check on my first computer. When, we, when I first got that, that was a pretty amazing thing to me that you could, a computer could spell check, right? It, my, my, my computer, my first computer, when I typed in the word grace, no problem. When I typed in the word sin, it read underlined. That, they, that word did not exist in my computer, the word sin. Love was a word. Tolerance was a word. Forgiveness was a word. Sin was not a word. If Paul's letter to Romans contains 
revelations from God about himself, which I believe it does, and if all have sinned, which we're going to see that that's what the scriptures say, and if the wages of sin are death, and that point is right coming up here, then, then this is one of the most important teachings that we are going to be able to give all year, especially in a culture like ours. And this is one that we have to understand so we can communicate it well to a world who just doesn't have a reference point for this. Now, the signs, you may have noticed um, that we have some signs that are building. Uh, when we had our Ash Wednesday service, we brought out this first sign, sign, slow, slow. Isn't that a great sign for the beginning of Lent? It is. It is. Thanks, Rick. Slow. Let's slow down. Let's, let's really press in here. And then last week, we pulled out the sign, Romans Road, and one of the points we made last week is, you know what? One of the things we want to do when we slow down, let's take these passages and dig deep. Let's, let's off-road a little bit around these passages and look at them in context. And now today's sign is what? The one on the screens? Wrong way. Wrong way. Yes. Wrong way. Now, this sign, if you hop on Lexington and head south, you're going to see some of these signs. Um, they're right there at 694. If, if they're right there posted at the... If, if you're going to try to go off, if you're going to try to take the off-ramp the wrong way down the highway, there, you're going to see these signs warning you, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go the wrong way down 694. There might be one that's closer than that to here, but that's pretty close. And I'd encourage you when, you, when you drive there, think about that. Think about what would happen if you just ignored that sign. Think what would happen if you just said, well, that sign, that's for everybody else. That sign's not for me. In my world, in my reality, my truth is that I want to go down that road. Can you imagine the damage you could cause by doing that? You could hurt yourself. You're putting others at risk. And this is just a human-made sign. That's all it is. It's just a, something that, that people thought was a good idea to post. Imagine what 694 would look like if people just started saying, well, it's subjective, it's relative. I, I can just go down this path if I want to. The rest of you, you can decide for yourselves whether or not you choose to go down that path. Imagine just in your head, literally get a picture of this. What would 694 look like if people would just ignore that sign? And lots of people would just ignore that sign and just go flying down the highway the wrong way. May I present to you that sin is akin to a peasant rebelling against a good king who issues decrees like you shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not bear false witness, and thou shalt not go the wrong way down the highway. May I present to you that sin is akin to a child disobeying a loving father who has good reasons behind his instructions to brush our teeth, to eat healthy foods, and to stay away from strangers who has our best interests in mind when he says, don't get in the car with a friend who's been drinking. Don't walk home alone at night. Don't send a picture of yourself over the internet that you wouldn't want everybody to see, because guess what? They'll see it. Human-made rules, when they come from a good king or when they come from a loving father, they have great value. Instructions from our creator even more so, even more so. 
which puts sin against God in a category all of its own. That's why it's such a big deal. Because ultimately, it's God says go this way, and we're going this way. That's ultimately what it is. So I'd encourage you to write this in your notes. This might have been the only one that those who play guess the blank maybe didn't get. You know, the other ones are pretty easy. All right? Sin is the lowest form of high treason. When I say lowest, I don't mean it's like the least important. No, the opposite. This is like the most depraved form of high treason. Instead of an earthly father or an earthly king, when we sin, we're rebelling against a heavenly father who knows all things and the king of kings whose word is absolute. Sin against our heavenly father, sin against the king of kings, it's as low as you can go. This is why it's a big deal. If you're, if you're not a Christian or you never understood, why, why do you guys talk about sin the way you do? This is why. We have no other choice. This is how it's revealed to us in our sacred text. This is, if there is a God and he speaks through his, his scriptures, which we believe he does, this is the only conclusion we can come to when it comes to sin. It is this big of a deal. In fact, a guy, Oliver O'Donovan, he, he writes this. This is worth reflecting on. I think I put it on your blue sheet so you can look into it more. Sin lacks the dignity of a point of view. Isn't that rich? But I think you should... Hey, sin lacks the dignity of a point of view. When we sin, and we all do, we're ignoring signs that our creator has posted for his creation. We hop in our cars, we turn on the off-ramp, and we say to God, you put that sign there, but I'm going to act as though it does not apply to me. In doing so, we rebel against God. And we put others at risk. And it's interesting, three times, once in the passage that we just read in verse 24, then again in verse 26, and in 28, as you're about to see, Paul reveals, he said, okay, God gave them up. That's the language Paul uses. God gave them up. God gave them up. When we choose to sin, God lets us take our car down the off-ramp and into oncoming traffic. Paul puts it like this, Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God what? Gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not be done. That one's worth highlighting, isn't it, in our notes? What ought not be done. The Romans road is a helpful tool. But here's one of the things, one of the reasons it's so important to stop and go deeper. Because Romans 23, I've heard it often given, um, and it's helpful, but it's incomplete. They'll, they'll say, Romans 23, all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And they'll often say, here's a chasm. The chasm is too far for us to jump. And so we do our best, but we fall short of the glory of God. Well, there's some truth to that, but that's a very limited understanding of sin. It's more than falling short. Sin, it's, it's, it's rebellion against God. There is a falling short aspect to it, so it's not that, that that's a wrong interpretation. It's just incomplete. It's just incomplete. The letter, Romans, reveals that sin is more than falling short. Sin is also, dare I say, primarily doing what ought not be done. Sins of transgression are the same as going the wrong way, and that is why sin is equated with idolatry, why sin is spoken of as rebellion, and why sin is the lowest form of high treason. Let's keep reading. Verse 29. They were filled, these people who God gave up, they, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, 
foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. Now, if we were in a small group, it'd be really interesting um, to, to see how we would put these sins on a continuum. Because some of these look like they're not nearly the same, right? And in earthly consequences, some of these don't have nearly the same consequence as others. But, but look what God does. As he's revealing through the book of Romans his truth, he, he puts them in the same category in terms of what they merit. That's because you've got to get to the root. The root is ultimately rebellion. And it's the same whether you're making foolish decisions, foolish in his eyes, whether you're being disobedient to your parents, or whether you're inventing evil. At the, at the root, this is why this is such a big deal, at the root, it's the creator telling, it's the created telling the creator, it's going to be this way. And because we're saying to our creator, you say wrong way, I say not wrong way for me. Because we're affecting others when we do this, because these things are true, the righteous decree from the king of kings is a death penalty. And you can argue against it. You can. But God reveals that those arguments aren't strong ones. In fact, it's interesting as we continue on, if we had more time, we'd look at every one of these. I just put the reference points up. Can we go to the next slide? You know, Paul anticipates some of the questions that people might have, and, and he lists them. And he says, okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. What if, what if we're not as bad as everyone else, right? He, he, that, that's a logical question. We might be thinking that. Let, come on, sliding scale here. I'm not, I'm not strapping a bomb to myself and taking out innocent people here. What if? Does that argument hold up? No. What about this one? He, Paul uses this argument. He says, what if we obey most of the law? All right? What, what if we, we get most of them right? Okay, the stop signs. I do all the stop signs, most of the, mostly, right? Um, the, uh, what's another one? A, no U-turn here. I'm good on those, right? But the wrong way, come on. Just one sign. You know, that one doesn't hold up. And then there's this one. I, I wouldn't have come up with this one, but he does. Paul says, okay, what about this? What if our unrighteous displays the righteousness of God? What if my going the wrong way down the highway causes an accident that gets other people to think? Those people who made that sign are great. Glory to those people. Is that a good excuse? No, it's not. Romans reveals that arguments like this don't hold up. If anything, as you continue that journey through Romans, and many of you have, thank you, all those people who have been writing and saying, hey, I've been doing it, I've been reading over and over again. As you read through Romans, Paul doubles down again and again and again. If you have your Bibles with you, take a look at this. Romans 3, starting with verse 10. Look at this, a string of quotes, <clears throat> starting here. Uh, Both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, 
None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All right, this is another example of where a tool like a study Bible is so helpful. My ESV study Bible helped me see every one of those quotes, and they said, here's where you can find it, here's where you can find it, here's where you can find it. And rather than just some awkward wording, which it seemed like to me, this is a very intentionally crafted string of quotes from the Old Testament. Let me just quickly show you, and if you have your ESV study Bible, it's right there in a little chart. Paul is basically saying, nobody's got anything to boast to God about here, right? And he talks about our sinful condition. You can group these verses, and there's the, the, the scriptures where you can find them. Romans 3, 10 through 12 is really talking about our condition is messed up because no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks for God, no one does good. And then the next group of quotes talks about our speech. Our speech is depraved. Our throats are open graves. The venom of asp is on our list. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then there's the next grouping. Romans 3, 15 through 17 is a grouping about action. We're shift swift to set blood. In our path are ruin and misery, the way of peace. They, may have, not, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All this, before we ever get to Romans 3, 23, we're not even there yet. We aren't even to Romans 3, 23 yet. And before we ever get there, the case has already been made that all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. And if we had time to off-road even further, let's take, we could take a look at what the Bible says elsewhere about sin. Here's a partial list. I ended up giving you some extra notes today. Um, that blue sheet, I put these down because I never want to just get up here and say stuff out of context. I would love for you guys to fact check me on all of this um, and, and you'll start to see that, that boy we could do what we just are doing here with Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 we could do this with all these verses but I give them there for your consideration take a look sin is inescapable here is a partial list of how sin is everywhere all have sin. Sin is a deliberate disobedience. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. Sin is the devising of folly. Hostility towards God is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Suppressing the truth is sin. Failing to witness when called upon is sin. Arrogance and pride are sin. Unfulfilled vows to God are sin. Deceiving your neighbor is sin. Touching something unclean is sin. We can have sinful thoughts. We can sin against each other. We can sin against the Lord. We can sin against our own bodies. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it sins. Those who around us can cause us to sin. Our leaders can cause us to sin. Sin apparently can seek us out. It is possibly to sin unintentionally as individuals and as a congregation. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Have all sinned? All have sinned. And if that's the case, we're in big trouble. Because here's my next list. Take a look at this. Again, a partial list. And I left, put the references there in your notes. You can look them up. The wages of sin is death. 
because sin separates us from God. Sin is detestable in God's sight. Sin provokes God's anger. Sin provokes God's jealousy. Sin provokes God's wrath. Sin defiles us. Sin enslaves us. Sin deceives us. Sin creates a debt that is beyond our capacity to pay. Sin is like marital unfaithfulness. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Our sin, get this, our sin can affect future generations. It's not just you going down the highway. It's all the people that you can affect as you're going down the highway. Sin is inescapable. Sin is very, very serious. And midway through his letter, Paul writes this. Let's jump ahead quickly. Romans 7. Here's again why sin is such a big deal. And this is Paul writing this. Paul writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what's right. I don't have the ability to carry it out. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Boy, isn't that the cry of every God seeker who's serious? Who is going to deliver me? Because all have sin, and the wages of sin is death. And we appear powerless. We appear that way because we are powerless to overcome this on our own. But now let's look at Romans 7 in context. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Right away, what is it? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's something that I noticed. It's really hard. When, if you want a proof text that sin is really, really bad, it's hard to do that in Romans without cutting, cutting off the second part of Paul's thought. Almost every time where you see sin is really, really bad, you almost always smash right up in the same verse is something about God's goodness and grace. Almost every time. The, 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 if, again, if you've ever been off-roading in Romans, you'll notice almost every time Paul emphasizes the serious of sin, Paul emphasizes the grace of God. Our creator is not just our creator. Our creator is also our savior. And that is good news. Can I get an amen? That is amenable. In the book of Romans, revelations about the significance of sin are almost always embedded within revelations of God's amazing grace. Let's look at 623. Yeah, 623. Take a look at this. Here's some of the context around Romans 623. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart. What fruit were you getting when you were going down the highway the wrong way? For the end of that is death. But now you've been set free from sin for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the hope and the grace. It isn't the wages of sin is death. Period. Very good. It's not just that. It doesn't end there. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, same thing. Take a look at this. A little of the context around Romans 3.23. But now, and if, I, if you got your Bible, circle that, highlight that. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through his blood so that we might 
be, or he might be, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love how this section begins. But now. And that's so important because this comes right after, remember that long section? We sin with our mouths, we sin with our actions. We sin. This comes right after that. But now. But now. The passage comes right after the one we looked at with all those quotes. The one that paints a picture of how fully fallen we are. Then come those grace-filled words, but now. We've ignored the signs. We put ourselves and others at risk. But now. God has taken initiative to save us. And he gives us an opportunity to make that U-turn on the highway. To stop doing what ought not be done. And turn around. And receive real forgiveness. And, and real power. Maybe a tow truck to get you getting off the highway. And get you going the right way. Get to that repair station. There's one right there. At that intersection of Lexington and 694, right? Some of us need that. Get me that U-turn. Get me to that repair station. Help me to get my life turned around. God can't simply ignore the fact we went the wrong way. And that's how this section ends. He did this through the blood of Jesus, through which God was both just and justifier. Is that loaded? That's loaded. That's why we're going to have to hit pause on that. We're going to come back to that next week. That is so loaded. God was both just and justifier. Because he can't simply ignore the fact that we went the wrong way. He can't bless or overlook something that serious. You just don't rebel against the creator. There's a price that needs to be paid for that. Sin is as serious as it gets. So if you haven't already figured this blank in, you can write it down now. What can wash away my sin that is as serious as it gets? Does anyone know the response to that? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if we dive deeper into the Bible, we're going to understand more and more the significance of sin. But also that deeper dive into the scriptures helps us understand the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross. That was huge. Our just God became the justifier who paid the price for our transgressions with his own blood. And again, we'll press more into that next week. But here's the word. I always try to pray and say, God, do you have a word for us today? I think we got one. You ready for this? Here's the word, and I think this is for most of us, if you're a believer. Don't OMG the blood. Don't OMG the blood. I'm I'm, I'm disappointed is the right word. I'm, I'm continually amazed how many Christians will use the phrase, oh my God, or put OMG. Because when we're doing that, we're taking what should be so reverent. We're talking about God. There should be a reverence for God, right? An appreciation for God. And, and when we turn it into just a little, like, expression, it trivializes God. Not intentionally, but that's what it does. Do we ever do that with the blood? Where we're just singing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of This is, for me, as much as anyone, when, when that word comes in a song, for us to really think about that and to not just throw it in a prayer, oh, I plead the blood over there. Well, okay, you know what you're saying? Again, we're going to press into this more next week. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. This is the blood of the Savior. Shed for 
big deal. I hope everything's been helpful that we've talked about here today. But it would be a win for the kingdom of God if we would treat the blood with more reverence and not just throw it away. In fact, at this time, I'm going to have the worship band come up because what I'd like to do today, normally we have some prayers that are great prayers. Oh, the, the words that are in there as we come to communion, the words in those prayers are as beautiful as you can, you can get. They're, all, they're out of the scriptures, right? What I want to do, though, today, because I don't want those prayers to just become an OMG thing. You know, we just we save those prayers before we go to communion. And also because I want, with these songs, if we're singing about the blood, I, I want us to really think about what we're singing. This is the blood of the Savior. I'd like us to just, before we go into communion, for our response today, to just there's a, that simple little song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. But let's sing that from a different place. And when I say from a different place, it has nothing to do with how you, you're, you're acting or how loud you're singing. I'm talking right here. And if it causes something outward, that's great. There's freedom here for that. But it's all about, you know, what internally, what if we could take that song, and there's so many different ways to express it, right? What can wash away my sin? That's a confession, isn't it? Make it a confession when we sing. What can wash away my sin? It is that significant. God, right here, right now, I'm confessing. It's not just my bad, God. It's what can wash away my sin? There's nothing that I can do, God. There's nothing I can do that merits, that that overcomes what I just did. So what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Also, we can make it a response of gratitude, right? Oh, what can wash away my sin? Thanks be to God. Because I couldn't do it on my own. So make an expression of gratitude. It can be a proclamation of grace. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What a proclamation of grace. And then of God's greatness. Why do we sing songs like there's no one like our God, no one at all? Because there's no one like our God, no one at all. Unless it's some modern cult spinoff, there are no ancient religions that I am aware of that have anything like this. A God who would initiate salvation and, and die on a cross for his creation? Are you kidding me? There's no one like our God. No one like our God. Anything else is a modern copy where they're trying to steal those themes. That was a radically new concept. So what we want to do, we're just going to sing. Don's going to lead us through this song a couple times. Just take this simple chorus. Don't OMG it. Make it real. And then after that, Kelsey will invite the servers to come up and servers get in place after this chorus. And then we won't have any ushers tell you to come forward if you'd like to receive communion. If you can sincerely sing that little chorus from the depth of your being, we would invite you to come forward. And we want it to be a deliberate decision on your part. Again, no OMGing, no, now you go because everyone in your row is going. Just make it a decision. When the communion servers are in place, say, okay, God, I am going to respond to what you did here today, right here, right now. I'm going to confess and proclaim that I am a sinner in need of your grace, and I'm so thankful for what you did on the cross. If you can do that with sincerity, we would welcome you come forward. All right, let me just pray and consecrate this time. Father, there is nothing that can wash away our sin. That's the whole point of why we're going to do this now. That is the proclamation that we make when we come forward, if we choose to do so, that there's nothing that can wash away our sin but the blood of our Savior. In Jesus' name. 
I just quickly want to share a picture that I had when, we were, when I was just sitting here. I had this picture of crossing from Lexington to over 694, although all the traffic is going the wrong way, right? And there's only about three people that are going the right way down there. And that's how life feels, which is one of the reasons why we want to get in the Word, because the Word can convict us in moments like this, that though the world is going the wrong way, we don't have to. And the other thing that happened in that little picture in my head is when some of us were turning our broken-down cars around and we were trying to get off, there were others who saw that and were able to say, maybe I should turn around too. So for what it's worth, there's, there's a picture. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you've revealed in your word truth because we live in a culture that is just streaming down the highway at the wrong direction. And Lord, we thank you that you have saved us from the consequences of that. And Lord, we thank you that you're saving us from the consequence of that as we return our lives to you and we allow you to patch up what we've broken. So Lord, thank you for that invitation. May we respond to it fully and walk forth from this place in freedom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.